Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are around the world, and welcome to another episode from the Grandstands. Tonight, we are talking about supercars out west in Wanneroo, uh, checking out the great racing action in race one, and a bit of the controversy that came up afterwards. Uh, other stuff, we're going to catch up on Paris-Roubaix and look at a bit of golf um, before getting everything together for the month of May, this this month on the Grandstands. And I'm joined today by Chris, Kiwi Chris 1709. It's good to have you back, Chris. Hello, Michael. Hello, everyone. It's great to be back as always. And boy, has it been a crazy month in terms of what we've watched and everything. It's been not, yeah, so much fun. Not just in, in sport and in motorsport, but like just in everything else. It feels like just the, the whole the life thing happened in April. We've, <laughs> like, we, we, we've spent an extra week just trying to catch up with that enough to be able to find some time to record this, Chris. Yeah, what is life? It's just crazy. Get it, me out of it. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And of course, with all the weather changes in Australia, uh, who cares about that? You already heard it off yeah, of me, about- me and Cookie complaining about that yesterday. <laughs> okay, Chris, let's start off with what we always start off with from the grandstands, with supercars. We finally got to a track that like is somewhat representative of some of the more usual tracks that we have in the Supercars Championship. We went out to Wallaroo, out at Perth, in uh, Barbagalla Raceway, or whatever it's called nowadays. It's, we'll just keep flinging the names at you. Um, <laughs> it was actually pretty good. I quite like Gen 3. I think it's good. <laughs> yes, I think... A lot of the doubters, I mean, I did hear some, there were still some doubters out there, and I'm sure we'll come to that later, but the racing product was fantastic. The parity, there were some very minor parity adjustments made, very, very minor with minimal effect because they have to, essentially, and I'm really happy with where they sit at the moment. Yeah, so the, the, the parity adjustments, I think there was a small center of gravity adjustment, um, so that was something along the lines of, two and a half kilos got moved from the footwell to the top of the the Camaros and that's it and that's like a center of gravity when we're talking about a ton and a half car a center of gravity adjustment of two and a half kilos going from the bottom of the top that's like nothing so uh that, that's, that's not a change to try and change the balance that's a change to show you've got integrity in the process yeah pretty much that's a it's all, almost almost a, a change to show that you can make a change effectively um mm. But there was also a bit that came out from uh, from the Australian Grand Prix that there was an issue with the the throttle map on the uh, the, the Mustangs where they uh, were coming off to like seventy percent throttle when you you lifted off just like a one or two percent that was super duper weird. What what do you make of that? Yeah. That was a strange one, and that's not really the sort of thing you would test for much. Um, Lyco did a really good job of breaking it down as Lyco does. Um, I mean, I'm glad they got onto it early. Well, you know, two rounds in. Because of the way they test, they're not really testing coming off throttle and all that sort of stuff. They're not going to be looking for that sort of glitch. Yeah, it was a bit of a weird one and something I think they only really discovered off the back of the Grand Prix because of those long corners where you're really modulating the throttle. So uh, good that they caught that. Um, did kind of explain why the Mustangs were so far away in Melbourne, but not so far away in Perth what, what did you what do you make of the parody at the moment because there seems to be a fair bit of bleating amongst the Mustang drivers um particularly David Reynolds and Cameron Waters both saying that they were aiming to be the the, the top of the Fords as opposed to trying to win races uh but it doesn't seem to be reflected in race results uh except for who's on the top step of the podium so what do, what do you make of the whole malarkey there's two things I'd say to that one 
the four drivers stop tripping over each other, that would help. Looking at you, David Reynolds and Anton Di Pasquale. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, secondly, was the Saturday qualifying session three tenths over the entire field? Yeah, that's that's um, pretty damn close. <laughs> So I think it's pretty right. The only difference at the moment is there's a really professional team currently leading the championship. And that, team is, professional. And that team is not Red Bull Airport Racing. Yeah, there's, who knew? There's two really professional teams at the moment. They're both Holden drivers. Holden? Holden, teams. Hold, Holden? What's, what's that? I've never heard of Holden. <laughs> Chevrolet, of course. Yeah, it's... I kind of agree. It seems to me that there is something fundamentally wrong with how the teams are running the Mustang, not with the Mustang itself. Mm -hmm. Like, as you said, the whole field, and we're talking first to 25th place. You know, this is including Jack Smith. We're within three tenths of a second in in qualifying. So, you know, the, the margins are so, 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 so fine that you can drive around them like you were talking about like actually uh getting to the point where the driver and the engineering takes the cake and what is what seems to be the case for me watching is that the teams with the best engineering are the ones at the front and they don't include any of the four teams and that's the story of the last few years in supercars yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it's been the story forever in supercars. Like, you know, the, the the best few teams in the last few years have been DJR Team Penske. Well, sorry, DJR, comma, Team Penske attached to that. Uh, and Red Bull, because they're the, the best re- resourced and the best engineering minds. Uh, and, you know, their process is what, is what makes them so good. And you've lost all that investment from Pe- Penske now in DJR and they're falling down the field. And meanwhile, you have investment in in Erebus and Grove, and look where they are at the moment. Yeah, Grove, Grove has been the, the standout sort of... Well, I, I don't want to say the standout surprise for me at the moment, because Erebus has been the standout surprise. Like, who, who who would have thought at the beginning of the season that three rounds in, we'd have Brody Kostecki leading the championship and Will Brown in third... Uh, fourth, rather. Like, that's, that's a huge, uh, a huge uh, step up for that team. And it's been a long... Oh, I don't want to say a long time coming... Because they showed glimpses of this a couple of years ago. But to see it finally realise the point where we have someone outside your normal duopoly challenging for race wins. And seeing what they did on the weekend, seeing what Brady Kostecki did in race one in particular, just gave me hope that it's not, this isn't just going to be a Shane Van Gisberg and last season's one song runaway title. Speaking of what Brody Kostecki did that weekend, how good was that race one? Like... Kostecki throwing everything he had to try and defend from the char- uh, from the from, from Van Gisberg and charging through the pack. Like, holy moly, that's what we've been wanting to see from anyone in the whole field <laughs> for years. Just someone want the, someone to just sort of stick it to Van Gisberg and, and try and make it difficult for him. And look at the product that we got at the end of it. An absolutely amazing product that I think was ever so slightly over adjudicated. Okay. Let's have this Not discussion even. then. What 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 made you think it was? Sorry, first of all, explain what you mean by over adjudicated, and then secondly, well, we'll talk about the consequences. Was the end there? Uh, was it one and a half laps to go? Uh, Brody received a black and white flag for blocking. Yep, which was a warning right. flag. 
Which just means, you know, it's a caution. I don't necessarily think he did too much wrong, though. Fair. to be overruled by that. Okay, so what I think it was for, uh, I think there was one specific instance where he went too far, and that was the run out of turn five into turn six on the 42nd lap. Because it was a 44-lap race, right? Mm. So I think on the 42nd lap, uh, Van Gisbergen gets a better run out of five, and Brody moves to cover and squeezes too far across. And so Van Gisbergen has to go onto the dirt and get out the throttle. And I think that's what the black and white flag was for. Which, like, I get it. It's the last three laps of the race, and you want to hold on to the the win. But, like, as soon as there is an overlap, you have to afford a car with space, and Brody didn't. And so he got a, a slap on the wrist, so... That's all it was. Yeah. That's all it was. Like, it wasn't anything more than that. And I'm glad that they let the final contact between the two go because he got passed. Yeah. It was just an aggressive move. And and he did have the nose up there. So it was... Mm-hmm. And, and, like, fair play to Brody. He made that bloody hard. <laughs> he really yeah. made Van Gisbergen work for that. And you can see into the race, the two of them got out and you could just see they were absolutely beaming. <laughs> Yeah, right? Like, how good is that? They were wrapped. They they had so much fun. And I I think that was one of the best exchanges that we've seen in supercars for a long time. And then Erebus had to go and re- ruin it by protesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Barry Ryan was up to there. Like, oh, oh like, what, what on earth are you protesting about? <laughs> he was claiming what? He wanted to define the rules. The rules are defined. <laughs> they were black and white on paper. Which is which is good because at the beginning of the season they weren't black and white on paper, and that's why uh, Red Bull lost that their first win of the season with the whole. Yeah, anyway, uh, that's a, that's a callback uh, a few months uh, behind. But yeah, it just seemed odd that after such a great exchange between two fired up drivers, that they both come out of the cars beaming and saying how awesome that was. That you've gone and you know thrown a big spanner in the works and try to make an adjudication, a protest about this when you know no one, no one, no one involved saw any reason to, to, to get to get further involved. It was just so tactless. All you're doing is throwing your 10 grand protest fee in, down the drain. Yeah, and, and also making making you look come off as the bad guy for it. Making making you come off as a bit of a sore loser. Do we have known that about Barry for a bit? Yeah, this is true. I mean <laughs> the more things change, right? Exactly. Race 1 was amazing. And if you haven't seen the end of Race 1, they did just upload the full sequence of the last four laps to YouTube as its own clip. So you can watch that for free wherever you are in the world. Doesn't matter if you've got Super Bowl or not. You can watch that clip. And I bloody hell, I suggest you go and do so. Um, second question I have is Erebus the real deal this season? Bloody looking like it, aren't they? They've certainly been the most consistent of the teams that aren't named Red Bull. Yes, and there's certainly the ones who aren't throwing stuff into doors. They shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and I just don't see any other challenges apart from Red Bull, their level. Okay, so why not? Why Why do we think Ele- Erebus has been elevated and no one else has kind of been elevated with them? Well, one, they've got two fantastic drivers. Um, other teams, like Walkinshaw, have got the usual one-car good, Nick Burkett being absolutely terrible. FPR, or not FPR, whatever they're called these days, Tickford. 
Misk mm. Ford team. <laughs> yeah, miscellaneous Ford team number one. They're being absolute dog poop. JR, like you mentioned, without without the Penske, have seem to have no clue at the moment. Almost, it's almost by default. It's better than that. They're better than that. Yeah, absolutely, they're better than that. And I think we saw we saw at uh, the Grand Prix and at Wanneroo that they have they've got the stuff in the mix. And you know, this isn't the first time this has happened when we've had a new spec of car. I think Brad Jones Racing were the ones that really jumped off the order when Car of the Future happened, um, and they took their first race wins ever. I think um, with uh, uh, with Jason Bright. I think that was also at Wanneroo. About that place, yeah, there um, must be something about that place. I'm actually dis- a little disappointed. BJR aren't quite at that level, the new car yet, as they have been. Well, they showed a little bit of that at uh, the Grand Prix. Andre Heimgartner was on the podium, you know, and even Bryce Fullwood had a podium snatched away because of a pit stop infringement. But like, it, it just seemed to all fall apart for them at Wanneroo. Oh, well, they've got two drivers of their four who are named Jones McCauley and Smith Jack. This is true. No, it doesn't give you much basis to build your team around. I'm just looking at the overall ladder at the moment, and there, where are we? Andre's in eighth. He had an absolute shocker at Wanneroo. Yeah, he did. Um, And forwards down the 15th. And then Macca Jones and Jack Smith are in 21st and 22nd. Uh, with Declan Fraser, Cameron Hill, and Nick Perkett rounding out the field. And, like, uh, Perkett traditionally hasn't really done well at Wanneroo, and he's also had two DNSs this season because of, you know, fire. Um, so it's hard to pile on to Nick so much already. But, like, ah, oh, blimey. He's much better quality than last place in the championship. He is. He should at least be 24th. <laughs> what well, such lofty nah. heights. Yeah, but um, compare that to. I mean, did you say that Chazzy's had a good season so far, though? No, I don't think Chazzy has had a good season. He's had one or two good races, but I would have been with Van Gisbergen getting disqualified for the first race. I would expect Mostert have to have been the championship leader at this point. Okay, and yet he's still sitting second. Yes, and I think that's disappointing because once again we saw this last year. He was anonymous at Wanneroo. Oh, Wanneroo is a very peculiar sort of track. Um, very hard on tyres, very abrasive. This is true. And we see... We're talking about the drivers a bit because, I'll be honest, I don't think races 2 and 3 were that good. Yeah, they kind of followed the same script, I think. Mm. And I think this is going to come into a discussion we're going to have about the format of the weekend. Ultimately, when the races are the same, the results are going to be largely the same. And that's what Brody's doing. And, that, and that's helping Brody finish on top at the moment because he's had podiums in all bar one race. Yeah, and he's been he's been consistent and he's been able to maximize, you know, that sort of super sprint length, which has been uh, good for this sort of uh, this sort of event. We've got a super sprint coming up next in Tasmania as well. Um but it wasn't just the, the races which had a bit of a shorter format. We had a, a, new quali- a new practice session where we had a combined 90-minute practice, which has not happened before. And we had the uh, F1-style qualifying, the elimination qualifying for race one, and then the traditional qualifying for race two. Um, 
all in all, it meant that we were on track for something like what? Uh, let me let me do some quick maths here. Um, like two and a half hours of practice and qualifying uh, for you know less than two hours of racing. Um, what were your thoughts on that? Did you enjoy the format for the weekend? I don't mind the practice time. I feel like having one practice session of 60 to 90 minutes is better than having two or three of 20. As you get into a groove, especially with the new cars, get into a groove, sort out your new car. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing that a bit more as we head down the season. The qualifying... My biggest problem with the format of the weekend is not so much the qualifying, because I can live with the qualifying being split up between a three three tier and ten minute blast. At Wanneroo as well, it's a little different because you really only get one run on your tires. Yeah. Um that's why the second half of those sessions was usually quite dead. Yeah. It's like especially considering as well, um, how short the lap is. The fact that you only get one run because the tires get burnt up so quickly and it's a fifty second lap is kind of Yeah. So I I have two ideas I think could work. Yeah. One, I, I think the race format we had was the 300k racing split over 100k's on Saturday and 200k race on Sunday. Okay, so have like a, a sprint and a feature sort of deal. Yeah, because at the moment the races are very, are very samey. Scripts are more or less the same. The strategies are more or less the same unless someone bins it into the gravel. So, I think bringing that will, yes, it has more cost of having to have fuel rigs everywhere and stuff like that. I think the racing product would be better for it. Yeah, fair. And while I like the qualifying format, I feel like we could do something different on the Sunday. Just a 10 minutes, 10, then just 10 minute blast. Okay. I have, I have this idea in my head of a 20 minute session top 16 progress through to a formula e style thing yeah. like it's sort of like in groups of four yeah okay yeah four heats of four races or four not races but four runners passes of that four on the one on their single lap through to the final and then you see pole position that way that is super duper weird. I, I, oh, truth be told, I haven't really tracked too much of the Formula E qualifying. Uh, in the past, I've only ever really watched the races. You're missing out of having been watching the races. <laughs> That's... Monaco last week was mental. Okay, okay. I might have to get more on board Formula E. I might have to cram it somewhere in between, I don't know, my morning coffee and my morning dump. <laughs> <laughs> with, the amount of, with the amount of time that I have left in my life at the moment. Um, okay, that's super not, duper interesting. I'm not just saying that. Yeah, I think something like that would just spice it up a little bit on Sunday. Something different. Do have the shootout for things like the big events, like yeah. Bathurst and Sandowns, obviously. I think it just, and it wouldn't take that much longer, really, than what we have currently in spending qualifying. Yeah, I I get that. That that. That's an intriguing, intriguing proposal you've put forward, Chris. Um, we'll see that. My views tend to align with uh, with what Garth Tander said on the weekend, and I'm just going to play that clip now uh, on my end so it gets picked up on the recording. But this is what Garth said. Red flag. 
No. Didn't okay. like it. We did two hours and 45 minutes of practice and qualifying over the course of this weekend. We did an hour and 20 minutes of racing. We're a racing championship. We're not a practice and qualifying championship. Yep. So I think Garth's got a point there. We did, so, we did twice as much qualifying as we did actual racing. And, you know, qualifying isn't what you pay points for. It's the racing. So why aren't we doing more <laughs> racing? Like, that's... Uh, it just felt. It just felt like there was so much... T- time that cars were on track that was inconsequential and the time that was consequential was so short and the balance is just off yeah that's that's my thing like i love these super sprints like i like the sprint format it produces some good racing but what i really love is the strategy games and you don't get that in the sprint um so i i'd love to see i'd love to see more racing than qualifying <laughs> And that's where, like, a 70-lap race at Wanneroo, even if you did 70, not 90. And, like, a 70-lap race would still be, like, 50 minutes. So that's, that's not even, like, an, an ordinary, like exuberant amount of time. But 45, 42 laps, half an hour just over? Nah. <sighs> not it, fam. Not it. The, su- the Super 2 race is longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your Premier Academy should be the longest race of the weekend. Yeah, I mean, unless you're TCR and you're sharing with GTs, but anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, so I think I, I think I still think they need to to work that out. Um, and I hope that that makes more sense. Um, during the season, just a quick comment on Super Two, Chris. What did you think of the the uh, changes to Super Two to have it run as forty minute races as opposed to lap races? Do you think that was an improvement? I think so. Didn't yeah. it stop the field going full Super Two. It did. They only went a little bit Super 2 in that second race, so that's good. Um, I think them now, they okay, They know, right, we've got this period of time. We're going to be racing for this period of time. We're not going to have 20 minutes behind the safety car and end up doing three laps. I think it helps them out a bit, gives them a bit of certainty. I think they've got bigger issues in Super 2 at the moment, though. Do we want to it's start? Around the driving standards. Do we want to start with that, or do we just want to leave that nah, for another? We'll leave that for another time. Leave that for another time, but yeah. they've got issues I need to sort out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a few little uh, other tidbits from supercars. Firstly, uh, Van Gisbergen uh, announced that. Well, there was an announcement that Van Gisbergen signed on for a quote-unquote multi-year deal extending beyond 2023. Um, and in an interview that Van Gisbergen did with Jess Yates. Uh, he made the comment that he was sticking around for another year, um, which was then very much picked up by those uh, guys at Speed Cafe who were like, hmm, but he said multi-year, what's going on? Um, which then uh, came out that uh, SVG signed on to the end of 2024 with an option for 2025, basically saying that if he wants to leave the sport at the end of 2024, he can. Um, but if he wants to stick around with Red Bull specifically, he can for 2025. Um Good for the sport, clearly, because he's the premier driver of the category. Um, in that interview with Jesse Yates, though, he did say that the off-track stuff, which he talks about as being like the media circus, the you know uh, backroom sort of discussions, uh, all the sort of malarkey that goes along with the circus, is the worst it's ever been. Um, but he's enjoying the racing. What do you want to make of that? That's that's always been him, though. He's never been one to enjoy the. Um, circus and the media and all that sort of stuff. He just wants to get in a car, drive it as fast as he can yeah, with his winner's trophy. Mm. I I agree with that. Um, I, I wonder as well how much um, 
the the whole Newcastle uh, debacle ha- has been weighing on on uh, on him. He's been talking a little bit about like trying to put together a drivers' association, I think, uh, as well. And mm-hmm. I wonder, I wonder if if that's partly to nullify the whole backroom malarkey. And I feel like if that was to come up, he would probably stay supercars. Because at the moment, I'm fifty fifty that he'll stay or go. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It would be it would be a shame for the category to lose him, but also, like any any category in the world would want Van Gisbergen in their car, right? Exactly. The only thing he hasn't done yet is Dakar, and I'm sure there'd be someone saying, "Hey, do you want to race the truck for us?" Can you imagine that SVG in a truck? I've seen his. I've watched his rally on boards. A truck would be terrifying. Oh boy. Um, other news I want to touch on. Yeah. Wildcard news. Yeah. Um, so, Walkinshaw and Andretti have decided they're not going to go ahead with their wild cards for Bathurst this year. Okay. Um, due to, due to uh, costs and car availability issues and getting their head around Gen 3. Yeah. But in the last few minutes, since it's 5 o'clock this evening, Triple Eight have announced their wild card. Nice. For the whole Enduro season. For the yeah. whole Enduro season. Yeah. Regulians. Yeah. What may be his last one. And Zane Goddard. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, that's not where I thought they'd go. Yeah, righto. Because Goddard has had two shots at supercars already uh, with the Matt Stone Racing Super Flexi, whatever, whatever, that got, you know, butchered by 2020 being a thing. And then also just... A full season in uh, MSR that just didn't really go anywhere. Um, that's yeah, that's really really interesting. I wonder what's going on there. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued because there would have been better candidates in Super Two. They're all locked up. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure who would be the better better candidate. Because um, you know, uh, without without Triple Eight running their own Super Two team, um, you know, normally they'd have a driver tied up through that. Um, but I don't think they do at the moment. So maybe like Kai Allen or someone from Eagles, like a really, really young well, driver um, would be... the first name I was thinking of? Great minds think alike, right? Kai Allen or even Cooper Murray. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's interesting. They, to... And they're both with Eggleston who have got ties with Triple Eight. Already. Had, had historical had ties with Triple Eight, yeah. Yeah, so that would that would have been my thought, but yeah, it's interesting that they've gone in this direction. I mean, this is certainly not precluding uh, Alan and Murray from uh, a, a, an opportunity in the future because I reckon of the next crop of Super True runners, both of them would be in that, um, along with uh, uh, Bradley Vaughan, who's uh, gone through the Tickford ranks. Um, another South Australian, Kai Allen and Bradley Vaughan, South Australians, go team. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting to see see how that's shaped out. Yeah, officially launching that in a couple of weekends' time, but at least Craig will get his final swan song because he's been making rumours about this will be it for him. Which, like, which would be a shame, but it would also be time, right? Yeah, he's yeah. for him to just nicely sit back in the chair and go. Back in my day, I took this corner flat out. <laughs> I I would love to see him become an ambassador for the sport. Uh, I don't think he's a good commentator. Sorry, 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 everyone who loves Craig. I just don't think he's good at commentary. He's not. No. 
he's he's certainly not. Uh, he's no James Courtney, uh, who had a great commentary oh, stint through this. Yeah, through the Super Utes, uh, which actually weren't all that trash, which was a surprise. Uh, Courtney might already be, Thomas- be teed up for a, a, a media role after Supercars. And Thomas Randall as well. I thought he was pretty handy behind the mic as well. Yeah, maybe... <laughs> I'm not going to say that. That's too mean to Randall. They're, they're, they're good, though. They're good. Uh, and like we've, already, we've always seen the tradition of like supercars drivers coming on and doing some sport category uh, commentary. Because I remember like Garth Tander doing commentary for a Formula Ford race at Sandown, which I think featured Will Powell, Will Davison, Mark Winterbottom, and Jamie Winkup. And I think Winkup won that race as well. And this was like the year 2000 or something. So this is like just after Garth had won Bathurst too. And I've got this, I've got this VHS tape at my grandma's that has this race on it. Well, going way back, 1995, uh, oh. Neil Compton was in the commentary box for that. <laughs> Remember when Neil Compton used to race cars? <laughs> this was two years before he dominated in America. Oh, uh, uh, wait, Neil Compton dominated in America? Well, in the sedan series in America. <laughs> okay, okay. So this is like Brad Jones dominating Oz car. Okay, okay. We'll leave that one there. Um, next round, Tasmania, Simmons Plains. Fun little track, fun little circuit. Uh, it's going to be another different challenge for these cars because it's going to be a bit lower degradation, a lot more high speed sort of stuff, but a lot more of the, the classic sort of point and shoot sort of thing so you know slow out of turn one slow out of turn four and kind of float the car through six and seven uh what are we expecting from a tassie chris what do you reckon um a few bent panels because the hairpin there is so brilliant but also going to hurt some cars we're going to, think we're going to test the modifications that have been made to, to enhance fixability yep um i would expect the status quo that we've seen in many ways, the flowy sections here at Tassie are like what we see at Wanneroo without the elevation. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be all about who's, who can get the car out of the hairpin the best. That straight line out of the ground. Now, is that hairpin going to be more of an issue with the cars being you know 30 centimetres wider? That's a good question. Because we, we have seen uh, cars come a cropper... Uh, when they try to go side by side through the hairpin, because you can take the the narrow line, but it really compromises your exit. But you can take the wide line, the bowl line, that gives you a bit more speed. But like when two cars try to do both around that hairpin, they don't tend to come out the other side all that kindly. Yeah, two wide, dicey, three wide, as we've seen, just never ends and nearly ends <laughs> with someone on the armco straddling it. Oh baby, don't get me excited like that. Yes, indeed. That's going to come up, yeah. uh, not this weekend, next weekend. Um, so by the time this comes out, like eight days away. Um, so another another different sort of test um, for the for the supercars uh, after a street circuit, a Grand Prix style circuit, Wanneroo, which is big elevation, and now Tasmania. So a uh, really, really interesting mix of uh, everything uh, to start the season. Uh, it's been a bit haphazard. Um. Chris, shall we leave supercars there? Let's park supercars and go on to two-wheeled motorsport of a different variety, without motors. Without motors. Allegedly. The bodies Allegedly. are the motors. Yeah. <laughs> Mechanical doping, am I right? Uh, no, so <laughs> uh, right at the beginning of last month, uh, you would have heard me talking about Paris-Roubaix, my favourite cycling classic, and boy howdy, Chris, did it deliver. Did you catch any of it? 
Unfortunately not. I was tied up with Phoebe in work, so I missed some of it. But from all accounts, it was an absolute corker. Well, it was a bit of a nutty race. It was the fastest Paris-Roubaix ever. Uh, at an average speed across 230-something kilometers of 46.7 kilometers per hour, I think it was. Which is which is Yikes. ludicrous. Yeah, this is like an average, yeah, over over 230-something Ks, including cobblestones, including... Oh, it's just it's just kind of nuts. You, you, you wouldn't average that driving that distance in a car along these roads. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was it just an absolutely terrifying... Race, pardon me, from a speed perspective. Um, but it all, you know, as it does, comes to a head once you hit the cobbled section. And really, the, the race was defined by the, the Trench of Arenberg, the Torre de Arenberg, where, um, whether <laughs> the, thank you, I tried, I just stuck that one in there. Um, whether the, the main, like the winning move got established and it was, a bit of a horror day for Jumbo Visma, the team of the likes of Wilt Van Aert and last year's winner, Dylan Van Baal, um, who had a massive crash. So Dylan Van Baal had a massive crash as they approached the, the trench of Arenberg, uh, and I think broke his collarbone. Either way, was was out of the race. Um, Wout Van Aert made the move into the front group, but his teammate, uh, Christian Laporte, who was uh, like his main support rider, had a puncture and couldn't get across the gap. And so that basically left oh. Wout Van Aert isolated. And like the whole second half of the race was like watching Laporte try and drag this next group back up to the front and just like getting this close and not getting there. So um, oh. yeah, it was a bit of a shocker. And then when Wout Van Aert did make the decisive move and the Carrefour de Labra, the, the last of the five-star cobble sections, the like the king section where everything happens, um, he got a puncture. <laughs> He got a puncture. Oh, no. So he he made the decisive move. He made the winning move effectively and got a puncture. And uh, it was um, uh, Vanderpol, Matteo Vanderpol, who was the one who attacked in the trench of Ironberg, had two teammates in the break with him, and was the one marshalling all the moves in the cobble sections in the lead up to the Carrefour de Lara, and ca- grabbed onto Wout Van Aert's wheel as they were coming off the Carrefour de Lara and kept going with it. Who ran? Who drove away from the peloton and won the race? So that was the decisive move from Wout Van Aert. He just got a puncture and was unable to then catch up to um, Matteo Vanderpol, who, like, by far, was the strongest rider of the race. Like everything that uh, is it, Dakota Quick Step. I should know that. Mm-hmm. Um, everything, yeah, yeah. everything that they did came off, whereas everything that Jumbo Visma tried to do turned to shit. Um, so it was a it was a bit of a horror day for for Jumbo Visma and uh, a great day for um for Matteo Vanderpol. But like, holy shit! Like it was just a phenomenal the the way that the race panned out. And like as I said, forty six point seven k's over the course of two hundred and fifty six or two hundred thirty six k's of cobblestones, uh, like eighty k's worth of cobblestones in that through some just disgusting roads. Ah, oh, mate, how good cycling! How good is cycling? Um, the I get the feeling the cobbles are kind of like Bathurst in the way the mountain chooses the winner at Bathurst. The cobbles choose the winner here. Yeah, it's a really interesting sort of thing because, like, you know, these aren't, uh, you know, nice paved cobble, cobble roads like, say, the, the Champs-Élysées on, on, in Paris. These are, like, some of these roads have been laid down in literally Napoleonic, in Napoleonic times. Mm. So, you know, these are these are trenches. Like, even they had, um, in the week leading up to the race, they had a bit of rain, and they uh, some of the local farmers actually brought goats 
onto the cobblestones to eat all the grass shoots to try and clean them up so that way uh, they wouldn't have these uh, you know grassy patches in them that were going to be hazardous um riding literal goat tracks yeah like like actually um so it's it was it's a really really cool sort of relic of the past it's kind of like uh you know motorcycle road racing in the in the way that like it is such an antiquated uh old style event that still gets run today because of its tradition and i wanted to pose this question to you chris uh at what point does tradition and safety well like where is that tipping point because we've had this discussion Mm. in motorsport plenty of times where things that are traditional like for example you know the old eau rouge or like bathurst for example there's parts of that track which you know arguably are unsafe for even gt3 the nurburgring nordschleife arguably parts of that track are unsafe for for gt3 you know lamar you had the mulsan which then got cut up into the with the chicanes and then you know only last uh two years ago we had that incident or that almost incident with the the flag waver at the the finish of the race um you know and these things have all been tradition that have kind of fallen by the wayside as technology has improved as as safety standards have improved and we've gotten to a point where people have realized maybe before time maybe not uh maybe after time that these are unsafe uh where does that sort of oh i i I don't really understand the question i just asked here but like tradition and sport what are your thoughts i mean it is a tough one because i think of this is going to be a really weird tangent, but cheese rolling. You mean, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> the, the cheese rolling down the hill in the UK. Okay, yeah. Um, a big festival every year. They would chase, chase, ragdoll down a hill behind a wheel of cheese. <laughs> um, in the end, they had, they, the ambulances stopped supporting that event. So it was no longer able to be run in an official capacity. Human beings being dumb and stupid did it anyway. Right. Um, and you need to look at events like Formula One just recently. We're more than capable of putting ourselves in stupidly dangerous positions anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like blocking a pit lane when there's a car coming in. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was dumb. That was dumb. But I mean, like, so, even, as, even as a follow-on, like... Formula One still races at Monaco. There's no way that Monaco is safe enough for modern Formula One cars, but it happens anyway because it's tradition. Yeah. I feel like there's always going to be people who want to do these traditional things. So unless you've got... got Actually, another motorsport one, Target Tasmania. And Target Rallies in Australia in general. Yes, yes. Um, We've seen... A lot of deaths there recently. Well, not a lot of deaths. I've seen a few deaths there. We have seen an uncomfortably high number of fatalities yes. in the yes. in the high single digits in the last few years, which is high single digits more than we should see in any motorsport. Yeah. Um, the point where Motorsport Australia said, "Right, we're taking a break. No, no tarmac rallies for the foreseeable future while we sort this out." Have you read the, just completely as, a, as an aside, did you read the findings of the most recent uh, Targa Tasmania fatality? They, they did a full inquest and they published the findings online. Mm. It's quite, quite harrowing stuff, yeah. Uh, if, it, like, if you want to read it, you probably could be, could be able to, dear listener, but I suggest uh, a, a strong stomach and a comfortable seating position first because it was, yes. yeah, quite harrowing. Um, 
In, indeed. Um, but I feel like if, as long as people accept the risks and the organisers do everything they can to make it as safe as they can and provide the support they can, there's going to be, you know, traditions will continue and should continue. Yeah, okay. When, the, when that support goes away, that's where the issue lies. And more and more we're starting to see that. Yeah, um, it, it's, a, it's a weird sort of thing because these traditions have all been based in something that has, you know, been uh, reoccurring. It's, it's, it's a challenge that people want to face, right? Like, that's why we do these sort of things. That's why Paris-Roubaix exists. That's why motorcycle road racing exists. That's why Le Mans exists. That's why any competition exists. It's because we've got these things that people want to achieve. They're landmark achievements. I mean, that's not to say that traditions, if they do change, are necessary for the worse. Um, I think of, like, Bathurst as a prime example. They they changed it up. They put in the chase. That's brilliant. The Mossan the Mossan chicanes. They're brilliant. And I you think I, I think uh, regular listeners of Endurance Chat would have heard the discussion that I had with Cookie on our most recent episode about the changes that they've made to Eau Rouge at Spa, um, wherein <laughs> they have kept all of the fear of that corner, but just made it that if you have a mis- make a mistake, you don't bounce back onto the racing line, which is fantastic. Yeah. And even. The ones that aren't harmful at all, like in a couple of years' time, the uh, the Arc de Triomphe won't be part of Tour de France anymore. Oh, I know. I'm really sad about that. I, oh, I've oh, my entire life, all I've wanted to do is watch the Champs Elysees stage, and they're going to change it. Yeah, because France is allergic to one work and two automobiles. Apparently, <laughs> damn, Kiwi's throwing some shade. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, something something I do want to tie into this discussion is that um, part of the the discussion about tradition, specifically with uh, Paris Roubaix this year, was that uh, the entry to the Trench of Arenberg, the first like really big, really difficult cobble section, the first five star cobble section, is slightly downhill. Um, from the direction that they were going in. And normally by that stage of the race, so the Trench of Iron Road comes through with maybe 80 kilometers left. So you've been racing for 150 kilometers already. Normally at that stage of the race, you're hitting that in smaller groups because the race is splintered. You've got attacks, catching attacks, attacking attacks, and you don't really have a big peloton. But this year, uh, because of the pace of the race, because you know the standard of cycling in the peloton has gone up so much, the technology has gone up, the nutrition has gone up, the optimization of the sport has gone up so high in just the last few years. Um, you had a big pack of riders totaling over a hundred hitting the trench of Ironberg at once at over 60 kilometers per hour heading downhill. And that's why that's one of the reasons that people have, uh, have well, part of the commentary I've seen about it is that we should, you know, if this is the situation that we're going to be hitting this dangerous section of cobbles in, then there is going to be incidents. So even <laughs> though it is traditional to do this in this direction with this, you know, part of the race is the, is the event, is the technology, is the optimization, is the sport, too dangerous to do that. And that's a million dollar question that I'm not eminently qualified to answer. Yeah. <laughs> Cause this is like, like uh, for all, for all the things that motorsport talk about tradition and how much motorsport has had to change in order to exist and still be relevant without people dying. Like cycling, I think is just catching up to that now with where they're at. Yes. 
So, yeah. And yes, okay, the circumstances may not be as severe, inverted commas, but a broken collarbone is no joy. No, not at all. Broken femur is no joy. Concussions are no joy. And we're seeing that with, with contact sports now as well, you know, dealing with concussion protocol and head injuries and stuff like that, and CTE. Sport as a whole is going through this massive paradigm shift. And yeah, this kind of feels like it, a, a second coming of the increased safety of like the the Jackie Stewart uh, um, Drivers Association uh, sort of thing in the, what was it, the mid-70s? Yes, yes. But across all sports mates. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, as a concept, yes, I don't have a problem with it, but it's got to be done right. And I think some footy codes in Australia in particular aren't doing it right. Okay. Um, and it's having detrimental effect on the spectacle and on the players as well. Yeah. And there are some codes, and there are some things like motorsport. I think motorsport's been doing it pretty well, apart from the sausage curbs. Oh my god! Yeah, they can go jump off a cliff before they launch another car over that cliff that that we've been told to jump <laughs> off. Of. Yes, um, but yeah, twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four is going to be a massive. It's just going to keep even get get yeah. Blah, 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 blah. You want to try that one again, Chris? Yeah, it's going to be. Well, we're already seeing it as a massive push to balance that tradition with safety and. We're going to see that come more and more into the fore over the next few years in almost everything we do. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see which traditions get held onto and which traditions mm-hmm. uh, maybe become just memories. Like, yeah. for example, the uh, flag waving on the track at the end of Le Mans. I love that tradition. Mm-hmm. I thought it was one of the best parts of the, the spectacle of Le Mans. But, yeah, it's it has been deemed unsafe, and fair enough. Absolutely. And I wonder with cycling, with Paris-Roubaix, whether or not we see the, the Trorée de Arenberg, the Trench of Arenberg, run in that direction again, or if there's a chicane to reduce the speed, or if there's something to, to change the way that they approach it. Ramps. <laughs> Ramps. BMX bike. you got to swap bikes jump, for that one section. Just, just jump over the troublesome bit. The troublesome bit is three kilometers long. Make it a really big ramp. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we're just we're just playing uh, uh, friggin' Arenberg Horizon now. Just put a <laughs> Hot Wheels ramp over the top. Um, yeah, uh, so to wrap that one up, uh, yeah, uh, Matteo van der Poel uh, was the winner. Uh, second place was his teammate. Uh, a, uh, who was his name? I can't remember his name, but I remember that it was his teammate because he won the two-op sprint with Walt van Aert, and so Walt van Aert came third. So not the best for John Bovisma. Great race for uh, Matteo van der Poel. Um, and that was that was the Cycling Classics. Uh, there was a few races. Well, the I say that was the Cycling Classics. There was also the whole um, the the uh, Ardennes Classics that came afterwards, but I'm not really a big fan of them, especially like La Flèche Wallonne, which was just who gets the murder hoy first and gets up the top of it first, which was Pogacar, and no one's surprised there. But whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, Chris, you watched some golf. I did. What is wrong with me? <laughs> You're old. <laughs> yeah. A um, couple of big golf events over the last month. Uh, the Masters, to, speaking of traditions. Yes. Actually. Uh, the most traditional event in the world, I'm going to say. Ooh. Ooh. 
of, and the and the and the big oh and the golfing wood at least. But yeah. um, you know we they still pride themselves on not having advertising and stuff like that and doing their own thing. And that was it was actually a really really good tournament, I have to say. Yeah. Um, at the end of it, John Rahm ended up winning by four shots, but he almost gave it away on the last. It was he went to the last day up by I think it was seven. Hot damn! That's up, um, so up by seven shots on his nearest competitor, not seven under, but up by seven shots. Yeah, he he was uh, yeah he shot sixty five, sixty nine, seventy three. What's that? Seven, ten under. Hot damn! Um, and his nearest competitor on that day was a blast from the past, Phil Mickelson. <laughs> what? That's he a name even I, I recognize. Yeah, he shot sixty five on the final day. To give John Rum a, a tiny scare, um, ended up tied for second with Brooks Kepka. What's interesting about that is Phil Mickelson is one of Liv's premier golfers. Yes, and Liv, if you're not aware, is kind of like the cart indie split of golf. <laughs> mm. Um. So uh, Liv is a organization that is run by the it's owned by a Saudi it's basically Saudi Arabian sports washing let's not beat, uh, beat around the bush here it's not beat around the bush yeah, yeah. Um, but it's basically been trying to poach players with big dollar signs from the PGA Tour and mm-hmm. uh, playing some events around the world and doing things a little differently um, Adelaide even had a live event uh, in the last month as well which I th- yes. think you watched all of yeah we'll come to that in a second yeah um the other person that Phil Mixon tied with was actually the leader after three rounds. Uh, Brooks, another live golfer as well, Brooks Kepka. Yeah. He had a shocker of a final round. He Not a good final day. Seven, oh, he shot 75, three over. Ended up tied for second. Going into the final day leading and you end up shooting three over. That's not, that's not, that's, is he South that's, African by any chance? Or Greg Norman, no. <laughs> um, but as a whole, I thought the Masters was really well presented, really good tournament. Uh, from an Aussie point of view, wasn't the greatest tournament. I think Australia's best competitor was way down... Where is he? Yeah, Cam Smith tied for 34. Ooh. Ouch. But four over. Um one thing that came from it, and now you know golf is not the fastest sport in the world. Some some say it's akin to watching paint dry. Go on. Yes. It's a good walk spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick Cantlay is an American golfer who is in a lot of trouble recently for taking far too long to do anything. Is a Twitter video where he's... Addressing the ball, so like ready to swing for like 30 seconds, readjusting his grip before taking a swing. And he's routinely taking an hour longer than anyone else. Damn. That's almost an achievement. Yeah. And a lot of golfers are starting to get fed up at this. And there's going to be a change, I think, in the rules. Well, there needs to be a change in the rules to ensure this sort of slow play does not happen. Because it's just excruciating for the fans who are watching as well. Excruciating for the fans who have already chosen to watch a slow sport. Yes, it's like it's like when Test cricket, Test cricket, they bowled at thirteen and over, or thirteen overs an hour. 
Yeah, that is quite annoying. You got me there. Well, they, yeah, because they, they've introduced penalties in a bunch of different sports for mm. playing slowly. Um, like, as you said, cricket, you get fined. You lose your match fee if you're too slow. Um, I know that, for example, in uh, in uh, NFL, you've got a, a play clock, so you must start the play within a certain amount of time. I think there's also... Baseball. Yeah. Uh, Baseball were brought in this year, and it sped up the games by an hour and a half in some cases. Wow, that's nuts. <laughs> Uh, and there's like uh, shot clocks in tennis as well. You gotta you gotta start the point mm-hmm. after a certain amount of time. So there's you know there is there is uh, tradition, not tradition, um, precedent for this being a thing. Taking it hour longer, geez, that's that's yeah. almost impressive. Yeah, and that's why I think live golf is actually showing the way golf could and should be played more regularly okay so explain to me how live golf differs from pga because i saw a fair bit of commentary of course because it was in adelaide um so there was a bit of advertisement there was a bit of uh you know media coverage um that i came across just through existing in adelaide but it wasn't something that i paid a lot of attention to um so i don't know the full details but from what i understand chris it's kind of like golf taken to like a, an extreme trendy new audience basically um the, it's presented on tv as you would like a motor race in terms of like these music and there's they have musical things showing their highlights and stuff like that um it's like this really up-tempo dancey sort of music which yeah. is shocking the establishment for golf really it's also three rounds not four so you're playing friday saturday sunday you have no cup because it's 48 players. All the players start at the same time. Okay. So they'll, so there'll be three, a group of three on every hole at the start of the mat, at the start of the day. Okay. So you're not starting uh, traditionally from hole one every single time. No. Cause, cause that's what like, I, I don't really watch a lot of golf. So like what I've heard is that, sorry, what I understand is that for PGA events, Everyone starts at hole one and you kind of go around like you've got a certain tee off time and you go through the whole course. Unless the only example to that or exception to that, and we saw it in the Masters, if it's weather delayed or something, you'll have a shotgun start. So you start maybe hole one, hole 10. Yeah. Okay. I hear you all 18 groups on the course at the same time. Ooh, that's interesting. So it's really, so you can just park, if you wanted to, you can park yourself up one hole, watch all the groups come through over the course of the next three hours with no downtime. Fair enough. And That's why the party hole <laughs> or the watering hole was such a spectacle. I did see that. This did come across my feed. Uh, I saw a video of a, a the first hole-in-one in Live Golf, which just happened to be at the party hole. Was it the first hole-in-one in Live Golf or was it the first hole-in-one of the event? Uh... Second hole in one in Live Golf, pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, first one of the tournament, first one at um. And it was at the party hole. Was that the? As uh, I think it was hole sixteen or whatever. But I saw this video, yeah. and it was basically like uh, being in the grandstand of a footy match, <laughs> or something mm-hmm. like that. It was kind of n- nuts. Yeah. Music. They, everyone had their own tee off music. So you'd be next up to the next up to the green. Cam Smith, ACDC would play. <laughs> or no, That's sorry, not... he was he was. Or sorry, he'd have Flume. 
That's hilarious. Phil Mixon was playing something where Credence Clear would have revival. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's so it's basically. It makes me want to go watch this. It's like golf, but T20. <laughs> yeah, basically. And the tournament itself was actually a lot of fun. And there's also a team element to it as well. Okay. Yeah, this is interesting. So, I, I, like, there's no team elements in uh, PGA, mm. is there? There is not. Apart yeah. from, you know, your team events, your Ryder Cups and your President's Cups. Okay. Uh, yeah, your team of four. Uh, best three scores each day count. And the lowest score wins. And then the end, that was decided by one shot. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, and the... It's yeah, so the tournament at the end was won by Taylor Gooch. His weekend of golf was a little ridiculous. Round one, 10 under. Round two, another 10 under. So is that minus 20? And then he's one over for the third day. <laughs> he used all his good shots in the first two days. In the end, he still won by three shots. That's not I mean, that's not a bad return. Um, and I have actually been to the Grange Golf Course, and that's not an easy course. So, oh, it's not. Um, and a lot of the regulars in last days have come out complaining that oh, they've ruined the course. <laughs> Which you know, when you've got half a ton of beer can being thrown on the thirteenth hole, what a surprise! That was hilarious. So, if you haven't seen the video of the hole in one, basically, when uh, I, I don't know who scored the hole in one, but Chase, when he it was uh, Chase Kepka. Yeah, so when Chase Kepka, Kepka got the hole in one, it was basically like being, as I said, being in the crowd of the footy. Just people were just throwing like the plastic beer uh, cups into the air, and it was just kind of nuts. And there was everyone was dancing. He he looked like he'd been kegged afterwards, just like had because because the amount of alcohol that had been thrown at him, it was kind of wild, but in a very ungolf like way. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like this is the way golf could present itself a lot more you have the one tournament in the pga the waste management open in phoenix arizona um which is it's got a similar party hole yeah uh, i think golf is one of those sports where you, you don't necessarily need silence because you're not listening to the ball like it's not like tennis we need to listen to the ball to see what sound it's making so you know what it's coming towards you yeah okay so i feel like this sort of stuff well, you want to, shouldn't go crazy with it. I think it should be a bit more encouraged to try and bring golf up to a modern audience a bit more. So do you think some of the changes that Live Golf is making, even if Live Golf doesn't live longer than like a season or two, could be reflected in the PGA Tour or other established golf tournaments in the next five to ten years? I think so. Maybe not every single tournament. But if you varied the formats, like if you had a team element or even if you had... You know, more fan interaction. Just liven it up a bit more. Because if there's any sport that needs to be livened up, it's golf. Yes. I mean, <laughs> even chess even chess is doing it. Really? I was watching a chess tournament the other... Here we go. Here's some of your sport knowledge. I was watching a chess tournament the other day. Three minutes on your clock. Yeah, okay. And you just... And if it was tied up, if there was no result after three minutes, of you know, three minutes each player, you go to sudden death. And after four minutes, if the white team, if the white player has not lost, he wins. Wow. That's like chess on methamphetamine. Chess, yeah. chess, chess on cocaine. 
But the whole thing is done in like 20 minutes. That's kind of nuts. I'm prepared to be very bad at chess. <laughs> I was I, I was watching that and just going, this is pretty awesome, actually. I, I had no idea what was actually happening, but it was awesome. <laughs> You're not, 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 a big, not a big chess player? I tried once and it uh, didn't go well. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I, I, I got to the point where I was committing my own regicide. I think in chess, they just call that conceding. <laughs> uh, cool. Okay, that's the, the most I've ever cared about golf. Uh, thank you for that, Chris. No problem. Happy uh, to be obscure. Well done. Uh, something else that was big that happened in Adelaide recently that I feel like should get a mention uh, for sport is uh, the first AFL gather round. So uh, AFL, for those listening internationally, is Australian football, uh, the Australian Football League, and this is like the footy. So this is the one where they play on the big ovals and they kick it and they catch it and they kick it between the sticks. So not rugby. And they Something that the Adelaide government uh, fought really hard for, uh, Adelaide government, South Australian government fought really hard for, um, was uh, creating the first ever gather round. So the idea being that every single round for the, every single game for the round. So that's, I think it's uh, nine games or 10 games of footy. Uh, Nine games at the moment, soon to be 10 maybe in the future. Maybe in the future. So nine games of footy all played in the same city in the same weekend. Uh, And it went really, really well. Um, I think all of the games sold out. So they had the marquee games with the two Adelaide teams. Uh, they sold out. Asterisk from that. Asterisk, yeah. A bunch of games played at smaller venues uh, around Adelaide. So uh, played at like, you know, some of the uh, regional teams' uh, grounds, um, which sold out, which was good. Um, but one thing, and I think this is the asterisk that Kiwi's referring to, is that they sold a lot of games as double headers, uh, which meant mm-hmm. that, Basically, half the well, the first game had like a half full stadium. The second game had a half full stadium, but technically, it was a sellout for the day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I feel I feel like they can restructure it for next year to actually get proper sellouts. Yeah, a bit more. I, I feel like that too. And like the fact that like Sydney, the Sydney Swans, who played the week prior and played in front of like twenty thousand fans in Sydney, then came to Adelaide and played in front of a packed stadium. <laughs> for their home (laughs) game in Adelaide uh, was kind of cool. And they had like a whole big festival in the sort of uh, grounds area. So where Adelaide Oval is, it's just like across the river from the CBD and that's got some nice little grass areas. And so they had a whole like festival in there where like the teams would be hanging out. You could go and meet all the players and get merchandise and do all that fun stuff. So they did a really, really good job of it. Um, And Mm. I care not not for AFL. It's not my thing. Um, I'm just not... It's not for me, but a lot of my friends went to multiple games and had a really, really good time. And yeah. I think it was really, really cool. And this sort of stuff, we're starting to see a bit more, especially in Australia sport. League's done it for a few years with Magic Round in Brisbane. And Rugby Union's done it for a couple of years now with Super Round here in Melbourne. Mm. And I remember um, you telling, telling us about it, I think it was the beginning of last year when we did, uh, yeah. we did From the Grandstands. And each night down here or has a theme like so. Saturday this year, I think was Pacific Day. Cool. The Pacific teams played each other. Um, Monday night was Melbourne playing a big derby game, and it was it was just I didn't get to go obviously, but it was a great, from all accounts, a great atmosphere. One sport I wish would do it was cricket. As in, like for Test cricket, or no? I'm, think, I'm thinking Big Bash. Big Bash, a Big Bash Magic Round. 
A big, a big bash, bash around, yeah, bash around. <laughs> the biggest what, bash. Yeah. So what you do? Yes. Like okay, I'll just use Melbourne as an example. Boo. I know, but you got MCG Marvel. Yeah. Bring the woman, and you can play Junction Noble too. Yep. Yeah. Um, you got uh, Spotless at Geelong as well, right? Yeah, there's not uh, GMHBA now. Oh, okay. I've, I can't keep up the stadium names. <laughs> yeah. But in Adelaide, you could you could go Adelaide Oval. You could go Norwood. They played the AFL. Could go could. Ka- Karen Rolton. Karen Rolton. Absolutely. Um, could play at Glenelg as well. They played a few Shield yeah. games at Glenelg. Yeah, so you could, and you could, like the ladies, or the ladies, the women's games at those smaller venues would be fantastic. Oh, yeah. That, that would be cool. <laughs> It was if it was a festival of cricket and you had guaranteed three games in a day at Adelaide Oval, you'd just pack that place. Absolutely. I I mean, part of the reason I ever got some of my friends watching cricket in the first place was I said, Hey, there's two women's cricket games at Adelaide Oval for ten bucks. Come <laughs> watch. Um so I mean, hey, if they're able, that that sounds like a great idea. Kiwi, get on the phone to your local big bash. Actually, wait, Hello, no. That- I, we know we know someone who works for Cricket Australia. We should talk to him. <laughs> do we? I I do. You don't know that you do. I think, or maybe you don't, haven't met this person. Anyway, Ooh. maybe I should put my resume in. It's someone. It's someone that we've done sim racing commentary with, but I, maybe you haven't. Ah, okay. Maybe yeah, not. I'll have to I'll dig deep. Um, yeah. So that's. A great initiative for the AFL, and I, and Adelaide's locked it in for the next two years, I think. Yeah, and I think it's it's it's. I mean, like I'm pleased because more stuff happening in Adelaide is always great, but I think it's mm. also a good place to have it because it's away from the like the the Melbourne hub, which already gets a saturation of games with having eight teams in Melbourne or whatever. Um, but it's still on the right side of the Brassy line, so it's not somewhere like say Brisbane or Sydney which is more focused on rugby it's somewhere where people love footy and care about footy and live footy um so you've just given me an idea for 2027 what's that Tasmania yeah 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 like when taking out a Tassie for a year with especially with a new Tassie team coming in yeah 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 I could see that yeah god I should work in sports admin or something yeah you seem to be you seem to have a few good ideas (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay um we're gonna wrap this up at some point soon uh so last few things uh hey chris the premier league is weird the top four is lava again i don't like it <laughs> manchester united are shit i know that much oh don't even get me started we were looking so good like from the period of november to to like february uh march where we we like had that post World Cup section where we like Rashford was just banging in goals, we were beating teams for fun. It just like it feels like the wheels have just entirely fallen off. Like we lost to West Ham. We can't we can't score a goal at the moment to save our lives. It's terrible. Yeah, um, I hate it. It's also, yeah, and it's also been a very bad, not good, terrible thing for Arsenal. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, Arsenal. We, they had like two bad we weeks. Gone- yeah, who have gone from being dead certainty to win the thing, so much so that the company I work for that sponsors them awarded their promo based on the fact that Arsenal had won it already. Ooh. They're now facing the fact that Man City are basically home and host. Well, this is the thing. If there's anything we've learned about that Manchester City team over the last few seasons is that they are a juggernaut. 
once they get rolling, they do not stop rolling. They just keep mm-hmm. winning games. And yeah. like Arsenal tripped up once. They drew three games in a row and then lost to City and now they, they've lost the, the title. Yeah, that's all. And like Liverpool fans would tell you time and time again, it doesn't matter how far ahead you think you are, you're. It only takes one slip up. Because I think it was what like th- two or three seasons ago where Liverpool had like one bad week where they lost two games, and then City yeah. needed to win every single game for like fourteen weeks straight, and they did it, and they won the title. Yeah, which is absolutely yeah. It shows that this league can turn on a knife edge, but. You have to think with Man City with a game in hand and a point ahead with three games to go. Yeah, you'd have to give it to them, which is uh, yeah. pains me to say. Um, For me, though, the battle was at the other end of the ladder. Yeah, right? How fun's the relegation fight? I mean, fun is probably not the right word if you're a fan of, say, Leicester or Everton or Leeds or, you know, yeah. maybe not Southampton. Maybe if you're a fan of Southampton, you've already I, given I, up. I was going to say, or if your company you work for also happens to sponsor the club that's currently last in the ladder and you're going to watch their game against Liverpool in a couple of weeks. Whoops! <laughs> you excited for that, Chris? Um, you're excited to go over... You're excited to go all the way over to England to watch a team get relegated? It's going to be a weird feeling, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but outside of that, you've got four teams within three points for, and there's two relegation spots. Who, so, go, who goes down, do you reckon? Uh, I reckon it's going to be Leicester I, I, look I'll probably be Leicester and Leeds just by virtue of the fact they are two points behind Everton yeah, yeah that's Phoebe. and Everton but, picked um, up a big win this morning in the day of recording big win 5-1 over Brighton which no one saw coming <laughs> not even Everton supporters <laughs> um, the thing about Southampton right last three games it's got at least three goals in each game and haven't got a single point I did not realise that, and that's hilarious. They lost, what, 4-3 to Arsenal, 4-3 to, uh, they, was it? They drew 3 all at Arsenal. Yeah, 3 Arsenal. Um, 4-3 most recent game, I think, and that was against... Um, uh, Nottingham, which is a, yeah. that's a relegation six-pointer right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they, they lost 3-1 to Newcastle, but they did take the lead against Newcastle. Mm. It, which is... Crazy to think that they're going to go score that many goals and then go in the race history and still easily, comfortably get in a championship next year. Uh, football, what a game, hey. Yeah. Um, Speaking of, we should actually mention the, the A-League finals are on at the moment. Um, so we've got oh. the, the semi-finals oh. coming up ne- this coming weekend and then the final the weekend after that. There is a whole political thing happening uh, behind the scenes with, the, uh, with Sydney basically buying the A-League final that no one who is a fan of the sport is happy about, but this is what's mm. happened and it sucks. Even, even Sydney fans from, this, from the elimination final weren't there. Which? The, 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 the um, active, the Cove, active yeah. sport. Yeah, so, I mean... Yeah, that's a whole thing, and that just kind of shows the administration of the sport in Australia is bumped. But the football has been great. Uh, Adelaide United yeah. made their way through the elimination final in front of a packed uh, Highmarsh Stadium um, to uh, with goals. I think two goals from Graham, uh, Craig Goodwin. Oh, Graham Goodwin, yeah. bloody hell! Look at see your boss is multi talented. Ah. Um, two goals from Craig Goodwin to get through. So uh, we got the semi final up against. Oh, I want to say Wellington? No, we just... No, they're gone. 
who are the semi-final up against? Uh, might be Central Coast, actually. Yeah, and because the Sydney Derby, I watched the Sydney Derby, and that was a great contest. Yeah, uh, it goes to show that footballing rivalry is still well and good in this country, even mm. if the administration sucks. Yeah, and I want to talk about soccer a bit more next month because the Women's World Cup's coming up soon in Australia and New Zealand. Yes, which is very exciting. So I think, so I think next month or the month after, we'll absolutely dive deep into that. Which will be good because uh, there's not really much else happening in June because, of course, there'll be, you know, that crazy little thing called Lamar. So <laughs> we'll be talking about that. Um, yeah, so yeah, this weekend, and the two-legged semis as well, uh, Sydney versus Melbourne City and Adelaide versus Central Coast. It would be hilarious to me if uh, Melbourne City and Adelaide get through and we have a Sydney-based final with no New South Wales team. That would tickle me greatly, just as a massive middle finger to the administration that has made this stupid decision. That's not beyond the realms of possibility. Either. No, not at all. I don't trust Central Coast, even though they finished second on the ladder. I mean, I, I trust Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> Something about that. What's he doing? Well, time to wrap it up, Chris. Uh, what are you watching this month? Um, not a lot, because I'll be in Estonia. But I'll what? Be... <laughs> what? Yeah. I'm travelling away for work to Estonia via a 27-hour flight, or flight time. And I'll be obviously at the EPL in Southampton. Yep. And playing on the surface the following day. Ooh, that's exciting. Have you learned how to kick a ball yet? Um, I kick it with Phoebe. Does that count? I, are you able to pass to uh, properly? I'm not sure. I can mostly get it around Phoebe. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But, uh, I, I think there's plenty of... Um, other things I'll be watching. Like, I don't think I could watch any Australian sport over there. I don't think Estonia really has broadcasting rights for <laughs> Australian footy codes. But right now, I'm watching stage four of the Giro, which has gone up a hill and it's very wet. Yes, Giro d'Italia, the first of the big Grand Tours uh, started. Um, one of the favourites for that is, of course, Remco Venepol, who uh, took awesome. the, first, the, the time trial, the first stage, so it's already in pink. So good on Remco. Um, and we had an Australian stage winner last night as well, stage three. Ah, yes, of course. Uh, Michael, Michael Matthews? Michael Matthews, yeah. So uh, that'll be that'll be good fun. And of course, building up to the... Uh, I mean, I always kind of forget that the Giro happens because it just happens in May and I'm not really focused on cycling. It's, it sort of just pops up, doesn't it? Yeah, because like the spring, the spring classics have just ended. Mm. And the route actually looks a little bonkers this year. Okay, I might have to we'll, check it out a bit more. Yeah, we've got um, well, we're already in the mountains and at stage what stage four, stage four, which is ludicrous. Yeah, um, and we've pretty much got one, two, three, four, five, six, six mountain stages in the last eight days. That's pretty rad. I do like the sound of that. One, one, of, which, one of which is a time trial. Oh boy, I love me a t- I love me a mountaintop time trial. Um, yeah, I, I did join the, um, the R slash WEC sports pools fantasy competition for that. And basically was like, oh uh, yeah, these guys, yeah, this, uh, five minutes, this will work. Um, so we'll see how well that goes. Uh, I'll report back at the end of the month and I'll let you know how, how, how I did. Um, one thing I would be watching. Smash cut in. 
it did not go well. <laughs> uh, one thing I will be watching, Chris, is the wrap-up of the Premier League. The last few rounds, um, hopefully, mm-hmm. fingers crossed, that Manchester United make top four and don't capitulate into a heap because that would suck. Um, it would be it would be funny if uh, David De Gea gets the golden glove for the most clean sheets considering just how many bad goals we've let in this season. But that's who cares about that? Top four? Top four. Top four. Top four, Chris. We get top, top four. four. Yep. Um, and of course, in um, a few weeks' time, we have the richest game in soccer. Yep. The uh, EFL Championship playoffs are the third team to get promoted to the Premier League. Yes. I love, I love the way they do this knockout thing. It's just so much fun. It is pretty nuts. I, I'm, I'm well, I'm well, uh, well about that. Um, cause the, the championship's already finished. So we already know two of the teams that are going to be stepping up. Um, yes, we do. Those two teams are one of them is Burnley, Burnley, Burnley and Sheffield United. Both teams that have recently been in the, cha- uh, in the Premier League before, uh, like within the last five years. So that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yep. the third could be any one of four teams. Yep, Luton Town, Middlesbrough, Coventry City, or Sunderland. It would be cool to see Coventry City get up to, uh, or Luton Town. I don't think I've ever heard of those uh, teams being in the Premier League before. Uh, Luton Town, Luton Town have got a ten thousand seat stadium. Imagine Manchester United going to play there. <laughs> That'd be pretty fun. <laughs> one of the one of the entrances entrances to the stadium is literally under houses. That's hilarious. I I love I love like the the small English team. Like I love the, uh, the football culture in England. Like I think that's the coolest thing. Where every like every there is a local team for every single person. Like we don't really do that in in Australia because we're all so spread out. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we'll see how the relegation fight uh goes. We'll see how the promotion goes. We'll see how top four goes. And I swear if. Uh, we'll see how the FA Cup goes because that's going to be a Manchester derby, so I have to care about that. Oh yes, That'd absolutely. Nice. Um, I have to care about it too. And I will be interested to see what sort of history we see with this Erling Haaland guy, and how many <laughs> goals can he score in a season? At least three more. At least three more. That what? So what? He's got thirty-five now at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. So do you reckon I- thirty-eight to thirty-eight goals, se- uh, thirty-eight game season? Yeah, I think in th- one. Yeah, that's very possible. Yeah, so that's that's what we're watching. That's what I'm watching in the month of May. Um, and of course, in the midst of that as well, we're gearing up for Lamar. So there's plenty of motorsports oh, yeah, keeping that, on as well. That thing. Yeah, that one thing that brought us all together. What eight years ago? <laughs> Holy hell! Oh, okay. Sounds like you've got a, a very a very uh, attention-starved uh, child to take care of, Chris. I do. She's saying, hey. Hello, Phoebe. The third member of From the Grandstands. <laughs> yeah. From the bouncer. From the bouncer. Oh, gorgeous. I love that. Uh, so I'll let you go, Chris. I'll let you tend to your family. Uh, thank you, mate. Pleasure as always. Take care. Enjoy your international trip. And we will see you in June. We'll do indeed. And thank you, all, everyone, for coming along and joining us from the grandstands. I've been Marcus Olivari. We'll see you next month uh, for whatever we'll see then. Thank you very much. Peace out. Peace out.